So as you probably remember, we've been in this sermon series for a little while now. We've been taking a look at, at the church and sort of the church, church life. What should it be? What should it look like? Of course, from a, from a biblical perspective. And I decided that this week we were going to take just a, a one-week pause. Just, just for today, we're going to take a pause from the series. We still have some time left in it, and we'll, we'll finish off the series. But as we're sort of in this season of Valentine's Day, I know it's a week late, you know, I realize that, but it's still February. We're still a week within Valentine's Day. And, you know, as you think of Valentine's Day, the sort of that, that central theme of love is you're celebrating love between you and your spouse, your love for your spouse, your spouse's love for you, and celebrating that marriage and so forth. And I, I kind of wanted to take up this theme of love and, and preach a, a sermon that really speaks to that. And today what I want to talk about is the wondrous love of God for us, his people. In a sense, it's almost like it doesn't seem right for this season to go by all about love and yet somehow not talk about this wondrous, unfathomably great love of God for us, his people. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to call attention to this and we're going to just focus on this wondrous love of God. We're going to dig into scripture here and say, what, is, what does the Bible say about God's love for us? And we'll dig deep. And in fact, we're going to turn first. You can turn there now in, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 14 through 19 and see what scripture says about this wondrous love of God for us, his people. And this is Paul writing, writing to the Ephesian church, and this is what he says. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Right in here, just look at how Paul describes this wondrous love of Christ for us, his people. In verse 19, he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is the love of God. This is the love of Christ for us, his people. It's like, it's too great to fully wrap our heads, our minds around. It surpasses knowledge. It surpasses comprehension. It's just too great. It's so unfathomably great. We can get a sense for it, of course. We can, we can comprehend it in a sense, and yet in its fullest extent, it's like it just surpasses man's ability to even fully grasp, fully comprehend, right? That is the wondrous love of God. It goes beyond our even, even our ability to fully understand it, right? And yet the reality is Paul here, as we think of what's his desire, what's his desire for the Ephesian church? He wants them to grasp even if they can't truly fully comprehend, as he says, right, it surpasses knowledge. Yet at the same time, to, to the best of their ability, to the extent that man is capable of, he wants them to grasp, to comprehend this love. He says, this, this is his earnest desire. This is his prayer for them. He says, and I pray, this is in verse 17, starting in verse 17, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide 
and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, right? There is this wondrous love of Christ that, yeah, you can't fully grasp, but you can't fully understand it. It just, it boggles the mind. And yet at the same time, my earnest desire for you, fellow Christians, he's saying over in Ephesus, he's saying my desire for you, my prayer for you is that to the extent that, that man in his limitation, in a sense, we're, we're not, you know, all, all capable in every way, right? We're limited. We're finite creatures. We're not like God infinite yet, even in our finite mental faculties, faculties and abilities to the extent that we're able. I want you to grasp this love that, that sort of knows no bounds, to understand right how wide, how long, how high, how deep, this, the wondrous extent of this unfathomably great love of God. This is his desire for the church. And as we think about this love, right, the reality is our, our minds should be blown, right? As we think about this, this unfathomably deep love of God for us, as we think about, well, just sort of who we are fundamentally. The reality is all too often as we think of ourselves, our natural inclination is sort of to think of ourselves in comparison to some sort of terrible human being in human history. So we think of Hitler or Stalin or name your person. We say, oh, I don't seem so bad. But if we really see ourselves through God's eyes, right, he's perfect. As we think of how he sees us in, in comparison to his perfect standard, he sees us as these sinful, wretched creatures. And yet even in spite of that, he loves us with this love that surpasses knowledge. As we think about that, our minds should just be totally blown. We should struggle to wrap our heads around that. It, it does, in a sense, surpass comprehension. It just boggles the mind that, that we're these sinful, wretched creatures. What do we deserve? We don't deserve love. We deserve, right, for God to pour out his wrath upon us, and fiercely so. And yet, in spite of that, right, in, in spite of the wretched creatures we are, he loves us and wondrously so, so much so that he suffered and died, right? He sent his son, Christ came, suffered and died for us to, to lead us back to him, to make a way. And as we think about that, it's just this, amazing love that our response should just be to have this sense of awe and wonder. This love of God, it's just so baffling, so incredible, so wondrous. Again, it just sort of goes beyond even our ability to fully grasp it, to fully wrap our heads around it. And yet Paul's desire, God's desire for us is even in our finite nature, even with our finite minds, to, to the extent that we're able to grasp it, to understand it. And that's what I want for us as a church to, to the extent that we're able to really understand and soak up this wondrous love of God and just be amazed and celebrate and rejoice in this great love of God for us. And before we look at some other scriptures, which we're going to do, we're going to look at a number of passages here that, that sort of continue to speak to this wondrous love of God, this unfathomable love of God. I just want us even to think through human history Right? Maybe just sort of do a little breeze through scripture, human history, and see God's love throughout all of human history. And we see it all over the place. We can sort of hit the rewind button, you know, rewind awfully quickly, go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. And, and what do we see? We see God creating. He creates mankind, and he does so in love. Certainly, he does so for himself and for his glory. That, that's why he creates. But he also does it out of love. Out of love, he makes us. Mankind exists because God was loving toward mankind so as to even make him exist. It's a loving gesture to even create. And he didn't just create mankind generally, but he created you. He created me. Again, an act of love shown toward us that we even exist, that we're even here today. It's an act of love. And how did he make mankind? He made him good 
and perfect. We know that, that we sort of blew that all up on our own. We know the story of the fall and, and so forth, right? But he made us good and perfect. Again, just an outpouring of God's love toward us to, to create us to begin with and to create us good and perfect. And not only that, but, but to create this wondrous creation that's good and perfect all around us for, our, for us to live in and, and to dwell in and, and to enjoy. And he made us ruler over it all, his earthly ruler over that. And what a privileged position. And, and again, that's all flowing out of God's love for mankind. And if we then continue to move forward in the story, well, we, as I said, we sort of blew that all up. We sinned. We rebelled, right? And yet God doesn't say, that's it. That's it. Mankind sinned. Adam and Eve, you're going to go straight to hell. That's the end of mankind done and over with. End of story for man. That's not how it goes. And yet, right, quite the opposite. God is persistent in love, right? He says, as soon as that act of rebellion happened, God says, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for mankind, though you've sinned against me, though you've rebelled against me, and now this, this, this separation, right? You're rightfully, justly under my wrath. You're cut off from me because of your sin, because of these crimes committed against me. God says, yet I'll make a way for you to be reconciled and brought back to me. I will make a way for you to be forgiven. I'll make a way for you to be saved. And of course, we find the fulfillment of that, the culmination of it, of course, in Christ himself, who comes and of course, what does he do? We, we see the, this wondrous love of God, this wondrous love of Christ in action. He doesn't just come, but he ultimately goes and he heads to a cross where he suffers and dies, where he is that atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, I'll take man's place. I'll take man's sin. I'll take the very wrath of God that mankind rightfully deserves. I'll take it all. I'll pay for it all in full so that man might be forgiven, right, through faith in Christ. And we see that, and it's all, again, driven by love. In love, he did that for us. In love, he came. In love, he made atonement for our sin at great cost, immeasurable cost to himself. And so, again, we just look at, at, at human history. We look at, at scripture here, and we just see God's love in action time after time after time, again and again. And I know I sort of fast-forwarded there, kind of from the fall all the way to Christ. But even if we want to back up there and say, well, let's look at the, the history of Israel. Well, you can think of we can look at the Exodus story, and here's Israel, and they're in bondage, enslaved, and in love, God delivers his people from that, right? Again, an outpouring of God's love for his people, Israel, and he delivers them from that. And then if we even sort of think of the general pattern of, of the history of the people of Israel, there are occasional bright spots in there of faithfulness, but, but sort of the general norm for them was honestly an awful lot of rebellion, of forsaking of, of the Lord, sort of going after other gods, not following the Lord, not following his ways, but, but rather rebellion upon rebellion and going after false pagan gods of, of the nations around them. That's sort of the norm of Israel's history. Whether you look at, you know, even right after the Exodus, God leads them out of, out of bondage in Egypt, and it doesn't take them long before they're rebelling against him. It doesn't take long for that to happen. And then you can even fast forward and you think of, well, the times of the judges and sort of the classic story of basically they forsake the Lord and his ways. They worship foreign gods, other gods. God gives them over to the nations around them, right? And then what happens? God still is compassionate. He still is, is loving and compassionate toward his people. He raises up a judge and delivers them. And again, in love, 
he does that. And, and you can even fast forward more and you think of, well, the times of, of the kings. And again, you have a few good kings in there occasionally, but, but there's an awful lot of wickedness and, and, and rebellion against the Lord. And yet God is, is, is patient with his people in love. He is long-suffering with them, even when it is time for him to punish, and he does punish. It, it, you know, God is still, even in the midst of that, gracious. We can think of, of the southern kingdom of Judah, and yeah, it's time for them to be punished because of their wickedness. And yet at the same time, even as he leads them into exile in Babylon, yet at the same time he's gracious and compassionate. He preserves a remnant and he restores them ultimately to the land. And again, that's all an outflow of God's love for his people. He is loving toward his people in a wondrous, unfathomably great way, in an enduring way. And we see that. You know, I could look at so many more stories. It's just all over scripture, but I'm kind of highlighting a few major, major things throughout sort of human history. It's sort of the biblical narrative, but we see God's love in action all over over the place. And we could even just say, well, let's look at our own lives, you know, take a look at your own life in a, in a sense and say, well, first of all, here I am, again, an act of love toward us just to even make us, for us to even exist. It's not like we have to exist, Steve doesn't have to exist, but, but in love, God said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to create you, right? And not only that, but he chose me to be one of his, he led me to faith in him, Right? He's forgiven me and, and saved me. And again, it's all an outpouring of his love. It's not what I rightfully deserve. I deserve the opposite. And we could say this all for, for each and every one of us. We deserve wrath. And yet, in love, he's saved me. He's rescued me. He's, he's restored me to himself, reconciled me to himself. And I have fellowship with God and, and everlasting life in him. And again, an outpouring of love. And even as we think of all sorts of other uh, little blessings in our lives, whether it's, you know, for a lot of us, well, you know, maybe you're married and you have a wonderful spouse. It's a loving gift from God. It's an outflow of his love to even bless you in that, in that way. Or maybe it's you have kids. Again, another blessing from the Lord. Loving blessing, an outflow of God's love. Or maybe it's a job that you have and God providing for you. You have a roof over your head. You have food on your table. You have a car. You have heat in your homes. You know, you can just sort of go on and on. You have health. As we think of even in a season of a pandemic and sickness and so forth, I think of this church. We've been greatly spared by a lot of the damage that has been done, whether it's by the virus itself, and we've said this before, or whether it's sort of a lot of the sort of secondary impacts, whether it's people losing jobs and so forth, we've graciously been spared uh, by and large here at New Hope Chapel. And again, that's an outflow of God's love, just in love. He's, he's caring for us and watching over us and, and blessing us. And I don't want us to lose sight of that and to just see this is, this is all God's love in action for us, his people. And now I want us to turn. I said we'd, we'd come back to, to Scripture after we sort of just look through human history to see God's love in action and sort of look through our lives and, again, see that as well. But I want to come back to Scripture as well here. And we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4, and this is verses 7 through 10. And it says, John writing, of course, says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And I'm going to pause there. We'll read the next couple of verses. But God is love, right? This is fundamental to his very character. It's who he is. As we talk about the, the wondrous love of God, you know, love is just who God is. It's part of his very character. It sort of cuts to the core of his very being and who he is. God is love. He is a loving God. And then John goes on here, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we already talked about this as I sort of went through human history, you know, the the sort of big story of scripture and so forth, and and picked out some high points where we see God's love in action. But again, just think about it, just ponder it, and have it with sort of a right frame of mind, recognizing what we really are, how we really are seen by God, you know, in accordance with our works. The reality is we're sinful. We've rebelled against God. We, as I said, have a way of looking at ourselves at times, sort of the way of the world of like, I'm not so bad. I'm not like, as I mentioned, Hitler or this person or that. But, but, but that's not the appropriate standard. The standard is God, his perfection, and God looks at us and sees these filthy, wretched creatures. That's the truth. We don't like to hear that. I, I, nobody wants to hear, hey, that's what you are. We're filthy. We're sinful. We're wretched. Yeah, that's so pleasant to hear. It's not pleasant to hear, but it's the truth. That's how God sees us in, in accordance with his standard and his character of perfection, and, and we are are not. We are, we are sinners. We've sinned. We've rebelled. That's what we are. And as we think about that and then realize, and yet this is what he did, right? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so here's wicked, wretched Steve and, you know, insert your name, any human being's name. Here we are, filthy, wretched, sinful. And yet, even in spite of what we are, yet God loves us. And not just loves us a little bit, loves us so wondrously that he'd send his own son to suffer and die on a cross for us, that we might be forgiven, that we might be saved, reconciled to him, have everlasting life. And again, as we, we sort of think of that and process, it should just be like, you know, it's, un, it's unbelievable. And yet it's true. You know, our minds should be blown. We should just be baffled. There should be this sense of awe and wonder that it's like God would do that. For me, I don't deserve it. I'm filth. I'm garbage. That's what I am. And yet God in love, even in spite of that reality, this is what he did for me in love. And just for us to be utterly blown away by this love, as we read in Ephesians, that surpasses knowledge. Again, it's like it's just too great to even fully wrap our minds around. And yet again, to the best of our ability to grasp it, even in our finite nature. And that is, as I said, Paul's desire for the Ephesians, even if we can't fully wrap our minds around it, to the extent that we're able as finite creatures to still understand this love and appreciate it and just rejoice in it and delight in it as God's people who are objects of this love and just give him thanks for it. And I want us to turn to to Exodus now. I know we're kind of bouncing around. Exodus Chapter 34, verses 4 through 7. And what we see here is God himself speaking of his own character. And so here from God's own own lips, this is who he is. This is what he says. I'll read it for us. So Moses, this is verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two, two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And in particular, I want to focus on verse six there where it says, right, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This, this is God saying, this is who I am. I am a God who abounds in steadfast love. 
Again, really saying, in a sense, the same thing we, we saw in 1 John. This is who God is. He says God is love. This cuts to the core of his character. This is who God is. He is a God of love. And now a natural question to ask, I think probably for most of us we, we know the answer to this, but nonetheless I want to speak to it, is to say, okay, so you're saying, Pastor Steve, we stand in this, this wondrous, incredible, just unfathomable love of God. Okay, but, but is that going to last? It's it sort of, am I, do I stand in God's love one day, that's today, and then tomorrow for some reason it's just different. Maybe I do something wrong, and then, oh, now I'm not, I don't stand in God's love anymore. Or maybe it's just God just decides one day, you know, like, yeah, I did that whole love thing. Like, I'm going to pass on that now. Is this something that endures or not, right? Is it just sort of this temporary fleeting thing? And currently I stand under, under God's wondrous love, but tomorrow who knows, right? And if that's the case, if the reality is this is changing and it's not sure and secure, well, then that's cause for great concern and anxiety and fear. And well, just because I have it now doesn't mean I have it in an enduring, lasting way. And of course, the answer is that this is something that endures, that is sure, that is secure. We don't have to worry, does God love me today and then tomorrow? Nope, that's not the case. And I want to read a few passages that, that speak to this. First, I want to read Psalm 136, verse 1. And it says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, right? His love endures forever. It's not like today he's, he's a God who is loving, and then tomorrow, nope, that's, that's done and gone, and, and quite the opposite. No, the reality is we are God's people. We belong to him. We stand under his wondrous, unfathomable love, and that is a love that endures forever. We belong to the Lord. We've repented and trusted in Christ. We're forgiven. We're saved. We're God's children, and nothing can change that. And we stand under his wondrous, glorious, unfathomable love. And again, that, that is enduring through all of eternity into the future. Nothing can change that. And Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And I'm going to read it for us. And he really addresses this issue head on. And here's what he says, starting at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Nothing can separate us. We are God's people and nothing can separate us from his love. We don't have to worry about, you know, yes, today God loves me, but is tomorrow, is that going to be different? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is what Paul specifically says here. Nothing, period, end of story. No qualification, no exception, no, nothing, no thing, no one can separate us from the love of God. 
We've put our faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We're forgiven. We're saved. We're reconciled to God. We are his children, and we stand in his love, and nothing can change that fact, right? We have that sure, securely, it is ours for all of eternity. And what a great comfort that is, right? The reality is, if this love is something that's, that's insecure, we don't know. Maybe it's here one moment. Maybe it's not. Well, then where is there peace and comfort in that? But knowing that, no, this, this is a love that endures forever, right? This cannot be taken from us, right? As, as Paul says, right, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If, if nothing can separate us from the love of God, if we know it's, it's sure, it's stable, it's secure, it's enduring, it is, it is for us for all of eternity, that is cause for great joy, that is cause for great peace to know we're the Lord's. We've trusted in him. We belong to him. Nothing can change that fact. We stand in his love now, today, but nothing can change that for all of eternity. We are his and stand in his love for all of eternity. Period. End of story. Again, nothing, no thing, no one can change that fact, can separate us from God's love. And as we think about that, again, the response should just be to delight in that fact, to, to rejoice in that fact. Again, this, this wondrous, unfathomable love, as Paul put it, right, this love that surpasses knowledge, we stand in that love. Again, our minds should just be blown that, that sinful, wretched you and me, that, that God has loved us even in spite of our sin so wondrously. He's loved us in a way that just surpasses true, full comprehension. And then that love that we stand in, it, again, it's, it's sure, it's secure. It's not like we can be alienated from that, that, that it, we can be separated from that love of God. No, nothing can do that. We stand in that love forever, for all of eternity end of story. And what a great comfort, what a great joy that is. And as I think of what's our takeaway, what's our application is here we've focused on love again, sort of thinking of February, Valentine's Day, the theme of love and, and talking about the wondrous love of God. What's our application? I always want to give us something where it's, you know, what is our takeaway? What can I apply to my life as I head out from, from church, you know, on Sunday after the service, after a little time of hanging out and fellowship and so forth? What's my takeaway? How can I apply this to my life. Here's what I want for us. Sometimes our applications are a little more sort of go out into the world and do this and do that. I want this one to be a little bit different. This one is just to, to first of all, understand all that we've talked about. Understand, again, we can't fully wrap our heads around the love of God, but to the extent that we can as finite beings, understand the love of God, this love of God that surpasses understanding. You know, understand the fact that it's a, it's a love that endures forever, that we cannot be separated from this love of God. Uh, understand all of this, and then just as we ponder it, as we think of it, just, just rejoice in it. Just delight in it. We are God's people, and we stand in this wondrous, incomprehensible love of God. And how can we respond any way other than just to have this huge beaming smile and just delight in it and just rejoice in it and say, thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this love. By no means do I deserve it. And yet you've lavished it upon me. And just to give him thanks and just to delight in it, rejoice in it, just to sort of bask in the radiance of the love of God and just soak it up and experience it. And again, just to experience that joy and delight and just do that, celebrate in every way this wondrous love of God. And that's what I want to challenge us with, to understand it and then just to, to bask in it and rejoice in it. It's not about going and doing, doing and actions and actions. There, there's time for, for those applications, but this is just to sit, ponder the love of God and just delight in it in every way, rejoice in it. And let's do that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love. 
as we think of a holiday that's about love, sort of a season or month where that's a theme on people's minds. Lord, how can we forget your love for us? We cannot. It is so wondrous. It truly does go beyond our ability to even fully wrap our heads around it. And yet, to the best of our ability, we seek to, to grasp it, Lord. And I pray that we wouldn't take your love for granted. We would understand its greatness, its depth, the wonder of it. That we would understand that it's a love that endures, that's sure, secure, stable, Lord. That, that Lord, we cannot be separated from by anything or anyone. We are yours. We are your children. We stand in your love now and forevermore. And what a great comfort and peace that is. And I pray that as we ponder your love, as we head out from here, as we get in our cars and head home and go about our lives the rest of this day, the rest of this week, may we just take the time to ponder your love, just to experience it, to rejoice in it, to delight in it, to celebrate it, to give you thanks for it, and just to, to bask in that wondrous love. Lord, ultimately, as everything is, for your glory. Amen.